I'm not going to preach Labor Day weekend. And it was not for real spiritual reasons. It was because about seven or eight years ago, Labor Day weekend turned into the opening week of college football. Yeah, I've got, hey, don't boot that because I'm about to slam that too. So, so, you know, college football is a big part of my life. I love it. I would, I would say it's at a hobby level. And so that was kind of immature of me. I just thought, hey, I'm going to take this weekend off. I let one of the staff members preach. But a few years ago, the staff members started taking off this weekend. And so, you know, that's the problem when you're in charge. You're the last one that gets vacation requests approved, right? Someone has to be here to open up. So, so, so I started preaching some and, and, and I, I enjoyed that. Last year, I had a ministry opportunity that was so precious and so special to me that I drove to Indianapolis for the day, drove back, preached here Sunday morning. I didn't watch any college football. Then yesterday, we had our Alpha retreat. Actually, it's still going on. It's, it's finishing up this morning, and Pastor Aubrey is leading that. And so because of the Alpha retreat, I didn't watch my beloved college football. But I ended up at a really good place because last night... With that small group at Alpha, the Alpha Retreat, we were praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was such a beautiful move of God. And I'm telling you this, it was greater than anything that happened in any stadium across this country. I mean that with all of my being, all of my heart. So I want to speak to something. I'm I'm going to speak against the misprioritization, our, our, our misprioritizing is, is the right way to put that, place of sports that we put in. And I asked the Lord, okay, Lord, do you want me to talk about this? That's not the whole sermon. It's just the opening of the sermon. I'm like, Lord, do you want me to talk about this again? Because I got to give you a little secret. When, when preachers repeat the same thing over again, a lot of times it's because they've got lost in their notes. And so they know that, oh, this is a way to get the crowd back. That's why in the 1990s, most preachers in America would repeat talk radio talking points because the crowd would like it and they'd they, amen and then they'd find their notes again. So I'm like, I don't want to talk about the idolization of sports again, Lord, but sometimes, and I think this is a case, the Lord's saying, okay, keep hitting that, keep hitting that, keep talking to them about that. And here's why I'm glad you're at church today. I'm glad you're at church every day. But as someone who, I'm a supporter of high school football, I'm a supporter of college football, I have season tickets to a high school, I got season ticket to a local college. I'm gonna tell you something, I enjoy that, but it's artificial worship. It's artificial worship. The concerts that are happening all over the city, it's artificial worship. It's fun and it's enjoyable, but when it has your heart, when it has your affection, when it's the priority of your resources, when it's what you schedule your life around, when your emotions are attached to a concert or a sporting event or something that's, uh, that's meant to be as entertainment and, and your, your self-fulfillment is attached to that, guys, that's an idol and it's false worship in your life. And God wanted me to tell you that again. And... So we come to worship today and we recenter on worship and we're reminded of what really matters, that which is eternal, that which will last, that which will 
will not be consumed by the judgment of the Lord, but that which will be eternal are things that we do that matter to the kingdom of God. So you being at church today matters. Your worship matters. When we go to the Lord's table, those things truly make a difference. And, and I thought last night, finally, I'm praying with those 15 people. We're laying hands on them. The Lord's moving. And, and, I, and I thought, Lord, this is so much better than what I could have been doing. And I, I thought, finally, I'm starting to spiritually mature after all these years, Right. Hey, it only took me being in the ministry all these years to finally get there. And of course I'm not there because there'll be something else that will come, won't there? Because our hearts keep straying, our hearts keep straying. And that's why the scripture today in James is calling you back. It's calling you back. It's calling you back to take care of the things you need to take care of with God. Turn your heart back to the Lord. So let's jump into this, okay? Here's the first thing God's calling us to do. Let's look at verse 21 of the scripture Beth read. It says, therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. James, who was the brother of Jesus, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but he was the brother of Jesus and he was the leader of the church of Jerusalem, is writing to Christians. It's very clear contextually. James is, is maybe the oldest letter in the New Testament And he's writing to Hebrew Christians and he's saying to them, Christians, followers of Christ, therefore rid yourself. He's not saying this is what you do to get saved because Jesus is the one. What Jesus did on the cross is what saves us. He says, for those of you who are Christians and you're living for God, rid yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. He did this because he's talking about, and we'll see this as his teaching unfolds, the implanted word of God. The word of God's been implanted in you. But just because it's planted in you doesn't mean we always, we allow it to come to fruit. So here's the word picture. The word picture is a garden. Some of you might have beautiful gardens. Some of you might do a lot of work in your gardens. I do the bare minimum in our garden. But there comes a point where the weeds are so bad, I've got to do something. Tennessee is a great place to live because you never have to water your yard. I mean, I've lived in the same house for 15 years and I I don't think I've ever watered it and it stays green all the time of the year I want it to. When I lived in Texas, we had to get soaker hoses and put them all around the house, not to keep the grass green, but to keep the foundation from cracking because rain was irregular. Here, rain just comes all the time, all the time. That's great. I mean, I love the topography. I love how lush the land is. That's great. That's the good part. The bad part is stuff starts growing where you don't want it to grow. In in your driveway, in between little cracks. I mean, it's like, don't grow there. Grow in the yard. Don't grow right there. And so this the flower beds and weeds just come up. Weeds come up. So a few weeks ago, I went out there one morning. I threw on some podcasts, started yanking all those weeds out. Went down to my mom's house, a few houses down, and yanked the weeds out of there. And I'm feeling good because I see dirt, not weeds. I see dirt. This is great. And so then you would think, well, everything is fine now. 
because it's August and everything's gonna die. That's, that's how the Lord works. He dies so we don't have to work. He dies because f- football season's starting. We don't wanna work in the yard, right? It's supposed to work that way. And sure enough, the weeds come right back. This is a word picture for our spiritual life. Our spiritual life, we're saved. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus doesn't write our name and then erase it when we do bad and then write it back again. And we're, we're in because of what he did. It's the cross that saves us. But now the garden of our hearts, James is clearly using this metaphor where he's saying this. He said, get rid of the stuff that doesn't belong. God's saying there, there's something I want you to do. There's an effort I want you to make. There's restrictions I want you to adhere to. And so we get rid of, what does he tell us to get rid of? This is what the scripture says, moral filth. It's right there in your notes. Get rid of the moral filth. Now, do I have to explain that, what that is? And you can put that slide up that says moral filth there. Do I have to, 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 well, not that one, but the one that says moral filth. Do I have to explain what moral filth is? No way. I don't have to explain that one. You know what it is, right? If we, we have to come up with an explanation, what what offends God? What, 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 is, what makes us feel like we're not pleasing the Lord? The Holy Spirit's inside of you. You know, you know what's inside of you that doesn't please the Lord. You know what's inside of you that doesn't please him. And the Lord's saying, I want you to get rid of that. I want you to get rid of the, the things that so easily, easily entangle you. Here's the second part of that. The easily accessible sin. The easily accessible sin that comes. And God said, I want you to put aside that. Put aside the obvious sins. Paul said the works of the flesh are obvious. It's obvious. We know the things that we need to get rid of our lives so we can please the Lord. But then he says, there's this easily accessible evil. Right away, we start thinking, oh, well, yeah, the day and age we live in, evil so prevalent. It's so close to us. We'll look at the scripture again. So you, you get the context for this, the rest of verse 21. The rest of verse 21 says the evil that is so prevalent. So we can, for those of us who can remember 20 years ago or 30 years ago, we can do a comparative and we can start saying, well, yes, nowadays with the digital revolution and there's access to media and then there's less of a, uh, a cultural accommodation to, to worship. And so it's harder to go to church now because more stuff is open on Sundays and the schools don't think about Wednesday night. And, and then we, we have less restraints uh, in censorship. And so the, the entertainment that we have access to um, there's just more, there's more filth, there's more dirty things, there's, there's more things that pollute us. And we can wrongly begin to think, oh, we've got it so, it's so hard now. It's just so hard to live for God. It was so much easier in the 1950s. It was so much easier in the 1970s. It was so much easier in the 90s to live for God. We can wrongly begin to believe that lie. And we're just like, oh man, it's so tough now, so tough now. It, it, it would have been much easier in another day. And I started reflecting on this and I want to remind you of what you've read in the scripture before. God's people have always been tempted by culture. We go all the way back to the early prophets where the the God of Baal was so attractive to God's people and and God's people wanted to worship Baal, not Jehovah. And then there there was the God of Molech who, who was so popular and He requested very, very awful things for people to do to their own family members. And and 
with the kids here, I won't, I won't describe all these things. You can read the scripture, you'll know that. And then we, we go into the time of Greek influence where the temples to the Greek goddesses had open visible sin, open visible sin. And the, the Romans, they, they adopted those things and then they even took them even further. My point is this, is sin has always been visible, available, and attractive to God's people. I want you to hear that again. Sin has always been visible, available, and attractive to God's people. So we should not believe the lie that we have it and it's so much harder for us now. And, and that if others were alive today, they would, be, they would succumb to the temptations around us. These are easily acceptable excuses. These are justifications because we don't wanna be disciplined people. I'm talking to Christians here very much like James was talking to Christians. I'm talking to those of us who we believe the lie of accommodation and compromise because we don't wanna live a life of self-examination again. And one of the lies is we've had it worse than anyone else has ever had it before. It's not the truth. God's people have always been tempted, but God's people have always risen above the temptation. God's people are set apart. We're not set apart to be elitist. We're not set apart to be people of pride. We're not set apart to be pompous and haughty. We're set apart to show there's a better way to live. There's a way to live. There's a righteous way to live. We're inspired by the Jesus who came and sought us out first and who forgave us and cleansed us and made us holy. We're not living because we want to appear to be better than someone else. We're living because we have met the God who's better than anyone else. He's made us better. He's made us righteous. He's made us different. He's made us holy. That's why we care about justice and we care about kindness and we care about the condition of the world. And so it is that there's that draw. And there's that draw and it draws us in. And sometimes when we're even friends with Christian people, hear me, God's warning you right now. You can be in a network of friends with Christian people and they can have Christian language and they can act like they're serving the Lord, but they're, they're really either knowingly or, or probably unknowingly, they are, they're leading you into a life of compromise. They're leading you to a life where you're not really following the Lord. And it's God's people who are beginning to adopt the customs of the world world together as a community. They're, 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 they're inviting Baal. They're inviting Molech. They're inviting the Greek gods. And, and we have them today too, don't we? And, and we, 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 we don't spur each other on often. Sometimes we, we don't spur each other on to good works. Instead, we, we encourage each other on to mediocrity. On top of this, we do have something that's contemporary and that's unique to us. The message of society, it, it is steeped in education, in our education system. It is a cultural message, and here's the message. Accept yourself for who you are. This is, this is like the message of our culture that overrides everything else. And it feels good to hear that, doesn't it? Uh, just, just be happy with who you are. So that's a really convenient and easy message to accept because then we never have to scrutinize ourselves. We never have to do self-examination. We never have to say, you know what, Aaron, that was wrong. I mean, there's, there's stuff that I say and do and I've done that, that just is wrong. But, but we've been conditioned to not admit that. 
Because then if we admit that there's something wrong with us and, and the message always, the message is always just be you. No, no self-examination, no restrictions, no cost to character. You know, character costs you something. Character means if you want to be a person in, in integrity, of integrity and character, it means it costs you something. It, it, it means there's a price to be paid and there's a hurt that comes sometimes when you do the right thing. There's a hurt, and, and these are messages that come from scripture that we need to be reminded of because the, the, the message of you're just okay the way you are is not the true full helpful message. I, I suppose, I, I know that we can work our scripture. We're made in the image of God and we can work scripture around those messages. And I've given messages like that. I, I think you have the maturity to filter out what I'm trying to say today. But here, here's kind of what I'm talking about today. Quit accepting yourself for who you are. It's hard to hear that, isn't it? What? I've been hearing since Sesame Street to accept myself for who I am. Some of our little hearts are shrinking in. Those of us who are educators or parents, our little hearts are shrinking like, what? You're telling me I need to change? You're telling me that a C minus isn't good enough? No, th th this is what I'm saying. Quit accepting yourself for who you are and accept who God has declared you are. Because God, God out of love has declared you are more than you are today. Because of Jesus and because of what Jesus done, you are holy. You are righteous. You are called. You've been adopted. You've been granted in. You've been purified. You've been set apart. You have been empowered. You have been purified. You know, here we are today, and I'm thankful for where, where I am today, but I'm not so in love with myself, and I'm not idolizing myself that my whole job is just to get everyone to like me. I want one to like me. I want God's approval, and God is calling me forward. God is calling me higher. God is calling me to sacrifice more. God is calling me to pray more. God is calling me to give more. And that is not restrictive and that's not keeping me from who I am. It's making me who God's called me to be. And so this is why God said, put aside, put aside those things. Lay aside moral filth. Lay aside easily accessible evil. Start weeding out of the garden of your heart because the word is in you. The word is in you and it's planted, but the word will be weeded out. Let's go ahead and talk about that. Here's my second organizational point today is really what it is. How many know that three points help me more than it helps you? All right, I just gave you a little speaking advice right there. Pastor Barry's here. So there we go, Barry. That's, that, you know it's true. Humbly accept the word. Humbly accept the word. Look at James 1.21 as we continue in the scripture. Humbly receive the implanted word. Now, this is really interesting, which is able to save your souls. Humbly receive the implanted word. So the word is implanted, and it's implanted, the seed is within us, but we receive the word by getting rid, by getting rid of the things, getting rid of moral filth, getting rid of the accessible sin. It's the rooted word, it's sown in our hearts, it's the garden of God. And again, this being written to believers who are walking out and living their salvation. Here, here's my interpretation of this and for my study of, of different commentaries. 
we can have the knowledge and training from a Christian orientation, yet reject its impact. You are well-educated people. Many of you have the head knowledge to teach the scripture. Many of you can write lessons, but it's easier to write a lesson than to live a lesson. I can write sermons all day long. But the greatest test of my leadership, can I live the stuff I preach? Earlier this week, I was in a conversation. And it was one of those conversations that started out as a, hey, I'm concerned about this situation. And it was slipping over into gossip. And I just said, and to be honest with you, I'm the one who, who initiated the conversation. So I'm not going to try to make myself look, bad, look good here. If it wasn't for me, the conversation would not have started. So at some point, I just said, I need to stop because this is turning into gossip for me. I can preach some good sermons on gossip, people. I can say, you people, you keep your mouth shut and you know, have a one-liner, a zinger that makes you laugh and talk about gossip. But the word is implanted in me, but am I accepting the word in that particular conversation? Right? Am I applying it to my life? We need to hear the word. And I've already commended you for being at church today and I commend you again. If anyone ever says, hey, don't come to church just because it's a habit, I disagree with them. There are times you don't feel like coming to church and you come anyway because it's a habit. And that's a life-giving habit. Right, so, so I, I don't know where we started. Again, we're not led by emotions. We're not led by how we feel. So just, just go ahead and just plan to read your Bible every week and come to church and just develop those habits in your life. And, and you watch how God shows up. So I commend you for that part of it. But now that I've commended you, let me challenge you. <laughs> so now that we've heard and we've been receptors of information, and, and we've, we've, we've gained this knowledge. Are we letting the knowledge and training impact us? The Greek word here is talking about an appropriate reception. I, I, God, I want to have an attitude that says, God, I want to receive your word for my life, even if it challenges my predispositions. I, I want to receive your word. I want, to, I want to receive your word. I want to have a receptive heart, even if, even if that's a challenging word. Knowledge is good. We got Veritas coming up. We got other things. We wanted a disciple. But it's knowledge on fire. It's knowledge that gets to the heart. And this, this concept we're seeing in James 1.21, that the word can be implanted, but we don't really receive it or accept it or integrate it into our life. And instead, it, sometimes it becomes this ammunition for us to, to be spiritually prideful. Or, or sometimes we receive the word and the knowledge kind of becomes this information we use to be accepted in a social group. So that we can go to church or we can go to a small group and we have the vernacular, the vocabulary to fit in. But we're fitting in the words, but then it's just not really sinking in. 
And, and, and I'm not the judge of all things. I'm certainly not accurate at judgments. But I've been around some people before who can talk a good game. But, man, I just didn't feel God's power behind the words. You're not, you're not fooling somebody. If, 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 if you're just developing a, a Christian vocabulary that doesn't change your heart. And where does the heart change? It changes in dozens of decisions we're going to make this week, guys. Come on, it's before us. It's before us. I'm talking about issues we often overlook, like our choice of words and how we respond to anger. Right now, we're already, we, we want to judge culture. And here's the thing that's so crazy about this is that we just love to judge people who don't know God because they're, they're not acting appropriately and they're not acting in a way that's comfortable. So we get like all upset with them, but we're not judging ourselves. And that's where that starts. Listen, I, I can't get mad at someone if they don't have knowledge of what they're doing. I, I told this story first service, and I'll just make it quick. I was working one time at a place where, where a door was asked to stay closed because it served as a wall. That door would be open a lot, and the boss would say, why is that door open? Well, most of the time, because people open it, that's what you do with doors, right? If, if you see them, you walk through them. And so that's a fine thing. People didn't know that was the policy. But when the door stayed open over and over again, and, and let's suppose it was somebody who knew it was supposed to stay closed, that's not ignorance, that's rebellion. There's a much different thing. You deal with ignorance and I say ignorance not in, in, in insulting ways. There, there are people all across this planet who has never heard the word of God. They've never heard the Bible. They, they, they've never heard the scripture. Why, why would we judge them? But for those of us who have ample access to the scripture, and we have plenty of opportunity to apply God's word, but we don't accept the word, we're trying so hard to get around it. We're trying so hard to justify it. The Lord's calling us to accept it. Let me tell you one last story. I'll go ahead and invite our ushers to begin to prepare to communicate, uh, to, to distribute communion. John Wimber was a professional musician in the 1960s. And he, he got saved. He was addicted to drugs he got saved and got radically changed by Jesus. The end of the story is he ended up starting a group of churches that I'm associated with called the Vineyard Churches. I'm loosely associated with, let me be clear about that. John was a voracious reader. He read, 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 read. So at the beginning of his salvation, he was reading the scripture and he was reading about this Jesus who was healing the sick and Blind eyes were being opened and challenging authority structures. And so he went to church and this young Christian, John Wimber, said to the pastor, when do we get to do the stuff? He said, well, what stuff are you talking about? The stuff Jesus did, like healing the sick and raising the dead and healing the blind, stuff like that. John was told that they didn't do that anymore. And so all that happened with was what occurred at the weekly service. And so his reply, you mean I gave up drugs for all that? Just for this? I gave up drugs just for a religion that doesn't do the stuff? Guys, I'm not talking today about continuationism. 
versus cessationism. We're not cessationists. We believe God's moving today, but I, I see that in other issues in the scripture. Well-trained people who are not kind, well-trained people who no longer live sacrificially and obey God till it hurts. Well-trained people who we don't really apply brotherly love and love brothers and sisters when it's challenging and when it hurts. Too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. So my question today is how long will you and I wait to start applying the scripture? When, and this is the third point, when are we gonna do the stuff? And be Jesus. And, and let the word mold and shape who we are. This is the closing verse 22 as we finish our passage today. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. It's like if you looked in the mirror in the morning to groom yourself and you're like, hey, I got a, I got a cowlick here and got some crusties in my eyes, but okay, I'm gonna go about my day. No, you do that to wash your face, to wash your hair, to do whatever you need to do. But a lot of us, we like look at the mirror of the word. We're like, okay, that doesn't please the Lord. That's sin. Okay, well, I'm gonna go about my life anyway. No application. So I'm going back to the passage, if you can help me there. And so it says there in verse 24, for he looks at himself, he goes away, immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and preserves in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. So brothers and sisters, today I am challenging you to not be a cultural Christian. Do something that hurts for God. Make a sacrifice for him. Obey him when it costs you something. This is the kingdom way. This is the kingdom way. And what happens is this. If you want to live for Jesus, you're going to be misunderstood. If you want to live for Jesus, it's going to cost you something. If you are going to live for Jesus, you're going to lose friends. If you're going to lose for Jesus, there's going to be some nights that may be lonely. If you're going to live for Jesus, you may not be included. But if you trust, if you trust in Jesus, in the end, he has a reward for you, not just in heaven, but the scripture says in this life to come, there's relationship, there's honor, there's favor, there's blessing, there is prosperity. Those are not the things we're chasing. Those are not the things we're looking after. We're looking after him. But I just cannot, cannot tell you that you can live an unaffected life, a life that never causes you to, to lay it down for the gospel. Jesus said to take up your cross daily and to follow him. It's a life of sacrifice that Jesus did first. He did it for us to show the way. And guys, I, I just cannot, cannot let you just live this, this faith in a way that that accommodates you without 
asking you for self-examination. And that's what communion is for. Communion takes us back. We're, we're about to join God's people in all times, all places that we say we take this bread and we take this cup. It symbolizes God's presence. It symbolizes God's presence, his resurrection, his power. We're taking all of him. We're consuming Jesus. We're taking all of who he is. This is not a dead religious ritual. This is the power of God. And so I'm just going to say it. If you're taking communion just to impress someone else and you're a Christian, just don't take it today. I'm just going to say, I usually say the opposite because, because listen, I know that I don't take communion out of perfection. I don't. I don't, I, I, take, I take communion as an imperfect man, as a sinful man. I take communion as, as someone who needs the grace of Jesus every single time. But, but, I, but I'm just saying today, I want this to mean something to you. I want it to mean something more than your entertainment. I want it to mean something more than the next thing you're looking forward to. I want Jesus to be the centerpiece, him to be the everything. This is the life of devotion that he's called us to. And it's a good life and it's a good way to live. And you're invited, it's for every single one of you. Guys, it's for every single one of you. It's not for the elite. It's not for the special. It's not for the ministers. It's not for the paid. It's for every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord. Every single one of you. And I just see this, listen, we're going to be walking out the doors in five minutes and I just feel you getting away. That's what I feel you, I feel you getting away. This, can, can you hear me? Listen, you're, you're going off, you're going off to other jobs. You are not unaffected by this. You're going off to other places. You're going off to other jobs. You're going to go off. And, and right now the enemy's wanting to snatch this word that fast, that fast. He's wanting to snatch the word. Teenagers, listen, he's wanting to snatch a word. Junior high kids, you're called to be strong in the Lord. It's not a tomorrow thing. It's a today thing. It's a today. It's for you right now. And the, and the enemy wants to snatch the word. He wants to distract you, Lincoln. He wants to distract you from what God's saying to you right now. The enemy wants to snatch the word. But the Lord is saying, focus in right now. Focus in. And, and, and I know, you know, I like church out at noon. You know, I like that. It's important to me. But you're more important to me than the schedule. You're more important to me than the schedule. So let's pray.